T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studio, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. This is Chicago's number one and most listened to sports station. 670 The Score is Chicago Sports. Chicago Sports is The Score. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. And Odyssey Station. The Score! I didn't realize you spoke French. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll throw a little around. In French, the fastball is the rapide. The slider is the glissant. There's a good glissant right there. Center to left, nasty pitch. Thompson. Yeah, Snapdragon curveball after the heater. Just absolutely locks him up. Can we get a mulligan, please? I can't offer you a mulligan or a haw. Just a Spiegel and no Parkins either. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on a Sunday morning on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. And right there, the voice of Jim Deshays from the Marquee Sports Network, who joins us right now on Hit and Run. He joins us via the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. JD, good morning. Thank you for the time. How are you, sir? Good morning, Spiegs. I'm coming to you from the warning track just behind first base. Here at uh, Guaranteed Rate Field. It's a beautiful day for a ball game. Oh, man. I woke up and uh, walked out on the balcony and was like, here we are. It's, wh- it's what you dream of opening day feeling like, all of April, all of May. It took us a while, but we got here. <laughs> yeah. So, some have argued that baseball, baseball season should start on Memorial Day. Huh. And you get a day like today, and you can understand that point of view. It is, it is just perfect. And it's supposed to be like 90 today, and then they've, they've uh, adjusted the forecast, so it's not going to be quite as hot. Just beautiful. So it, it, it should be lovely. I was there last night. Um, nice mix of, of fans and a very – very active, loud, and vocal place. Keegan Thompson, um, who you referred to there in our little production piece as having the Snapdragon. Uh, actually, I, I talked to him a couple weeks after that, J.D., and I said, so have you ever heard your, uh, your curveball called a Snapdragon? He said, no, no, not, not really. But he liked it. He liked it an awful lot. He said that last night he didn't even think he was good. He just wasn't it in spots. He thought he got lucky, but it was a huge confidence boost for him. Uh, does that make sense uh, as a former pitcher, that thought process? Well, I think, I think it's important to be able to self-evaluate because there are times when you go out there and you have success, but in hindsight, you go, ah, I didn't really hit my spots or I didn't do this, that, or the other thing. Uh, and then there are other times where you get knocked around a little bit, um, but you take a look at some video and you kind of go through things and you think, you know, I wasn't that bad. I just, you know gave up a couple of hits in a big spot and a bad spot or, you know, had a call go against me. So I, I do appreciate the fact that he's um, 
you know, taking it to that level in terms of his own self analysis. But, you know, the one thing I saw, he threw strike one to 17 or 20 batters he faced. So even if he wasn't hitting his spots, that, that kind of, you know, leverage against the opposing hitter, it's going to work. Man, you know, I remember talking to David Robertson and then Lance Lynn was saying some, and then you say it right there, strike one, man, just like throwing your stuff the best you got and just, just throwing it over the plate. Why is that so hard to learn um, and might take some guys a long time to learn it and trust that? Well, it just, you know, it depends on the guy, right? It depends on how, what kind of stuff you have. There, there are those of us, and I'll put myself in that category from, from years gone by, where you had to be a little careful on OO because you, you didn't have, you know, 96 miles an hour or, or you didn't have great movement on your fastball. So you had to find a way sometimes to steal strike one, whether it was with a breaking ball or a painted fastball. But, yeah, I think, um, I think the more guys are in the league, uh, they start to understand that, you know, big league hitters aren't, you know, uh, are, are vulnerable like hitters they face in the minor leagues. I think mm-hmm. there, there is a learning curve. When you first come to the big leagues, you think, my God, everybody's Mike Trout, everybody's Babe Ruth. I've got to be uber careful. I can't afford to challenge hitters. Then after time, you realize that your stuff plays, and, and you realize there are times where you need to be aggressive, especially early. Early in games before hitters kind of get into the flow and the rhythm of the game, that's where you can really take advantage. I was thinking about Keegan and, and just how valuable he's been as like a bulk guy coming out of the pen as opposed to a snart, a starter. And it's not just like, it's not just the easy discussion anymore about like, well, he ought to be a starter. Cause that's where the value is. Like it's a hell of a valuable guy out of the bullpen uh, going like that. What's the right composition for a bullpen these days, Jim, in terms of like how many guys you need to be able to do that? Like, is it sensible to have at least two guys? Like if, if they had Mills and Thompson in the pen, you know, or that kind of thing, is it sensible to have two guys who are able to give you three innings out of a bullpen yeah, these days? Especially if you bring a right-hander in behind a lefty and a lefty in behind a righty. You know, so if it's a, if it's a Justin Steele start or a Wade Miley start, and then you have Keegan teed up and ready to go to give you three innings or, you know, two, two plus, whatever he needs to do, um, that obviously creates some problems for the opposing manager. And, and Mills could do the same thing, you know, um, you know, give you that kind of bulk. The fact that they're allowed to carry 13, now 14 pitchers is going to, you know, be the norm for a while now into June. Um, yeah, you know, there's not as much emphasis on starting pitching anymore. So you, you can look at the performance of Keegan Thompson and go, well, by golly, he's earned a spot in the rotation. He should be a starter. But if you're David Ross, okay, so I could get Keegan Thompson every fifth day for five, maybe six innings. Uh, or I could get him every third day for maybe three innings uh, in, in a you know in a real meaningful role in a, you know in a, in a close game, and I think those guys are going to become more and more valuable. And it's somewhat ironic because that guy was always the last guy on your pitching staff, your long guy, right? Yep. You had your starters, you had your leverage guys, and then you had your kind of mop up guys and long guys. But now that has become a much more important role, it's kind of like a a co starter, or as you said, like a Boca guy. Yeah. It's so weird how the game has evolved. Uh, talking to the seventh place finisher in the 1986 National League Rookie of the Year voting, uh, Jim Deshays. I was I was talking with a friend of mine, um, a huge Twins fan, uh, JD, and she looked up. She said, "I wonder if JD could name the six players that finished ahead of him in the voting for the National League Rookie of the Year in 1986." <laughs> Uh, did Barry Bonds win that year? He was sixth. He was sixth. He, he, finished, he was sixth. He was finished sixth in the voting. Oh, really? Just ahead of you. Uh, 
Yeah. Wow. With Charlie Kerfeld in there? No, my number four. Charlie, Big Chuck. Number yeah, four. Big Chuck. Yes. Yeah. Big Charlie Big Kerfeld. Chuck. Yep. Um, Some good ones. Warrell was not, Todd Warrell was not that year, was he? Todd, he might have been the year before. Todd Warrell won Rookie of the Year. Oh, okay. Because, okay. Yep. So you are you are on it, sir. You've got three. Uh, there's there's three more. Um, and they How all about John Cruck. No, 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 John Cruck. Three of them with connections okay. to the Giants. Um, one of them later played for the Giants, but two of them I think were Giants at the time. Oh man, uh, uh, Trevor Wilson. Uh, no, Robbie. Trevor, Robbie no. Thompson finished oh, second. Robbie Thompson. Okay, yeah, good player. And then uh, Will Clark. Yeah, Will Clark finished fifth. That was a thrill. Yeah. Wilson. Oh wow. And then and then wow. and then Kevin uh, Mitchell. Kevin Mitchell third. Um, as a Met, but he would end up going to San Francisco and having some big years there. But how about this? Yeah, the, that's, that's deep. I, I, that is that is a list right there. Were you were you part of my '86 tops traded? card set that i had probably because it means you came in the middle of the year probably no 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 i came i came in uh at the end of 85 okay so i, the, I, I got traded uh joe necro in september of 85 wow okay well there yeah. we go and i, I think I, I think i told you the story the, the headline in the uh houston uh not the chronicle the houston post uh, there was a column and uh the the, uh, the lead was the Astros have traded their heart and soul, and in return, they got a couple of chest hairs. Um, that was my welcome to Houston. My, that was in, the, I was in the sports page in the back of the taxi when I got out of the, air, uh, the uh, airport in Houston. Huh. Oh, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. Well, uh, I, I was thinking about you, J.D., because I love sports trivia. I know you do. And our, our dear departed friend, Craig Lynch, the broadcaster, um, was the trivia god of the of the Wrigley media press room, and and I has anybody picked up that mantle? Like some of my favorite moments as a, a person covering baseball, sitting at a table with you and or Pat Hughes and Craig Lynch being quizzed on trivia. Has anybody picked that up in his absence? No, nobody has. You need to. You you should take it. Take up that mantle. Come to the ballpark and be that guy. Yep. I will reserve a chair for you. Uh, <laughs> well, Craig was Craig was Rain Man, right? So it wasn't just trivia; it was like you know, you you would start with so and so's home run that one, and he would be yeah. That was a Tuesday. That was May fourteenth. They were in Cincinnati. You know, he would he knew the details of the game, the, what the weather was. It was just incredible. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, Sean Sears, our producer, has grabbed a couple. I haven't been able to vet them because I want to be. I want to guess with you. So you and I are gonna. We can play together. We can perhaps collaborate here um, on these, like okay. we, like we do at the lunch table, or like we did. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do you got, Sean? All right. So this first one here is Wilson Contreras is the third Cubs catcher to hit a hundred home runs. Who are the other two catchers? Oh, see, see, JD ought to know this. That's a laugh. I'll take one. You take the other. Gabby Hartnett. Uh, Jody Davis. All right, there you guys go. I figured I'd start with an easy one. Thank we'll you. work our way up here. Thank you. All right, so next question here. Who are the two other active players with career cycles? So obviously Trey Turner has hit one of them. Who is the other Dodgers player that's had multiple cycles? So wait, wait, wait. wait what's the question? Hitting Dodger player with multiple cycles? Yes, currently on the roster, active player. So Trey Turner's got okay. multiple cycles. Who's the other player? With multiple cycles. I, I will go. You want first guess? No, nah, you got I, it. I jumped first last time. Yeah, I know. Uh, how about Mookie? How about Mookie? Yeah, Mookie's Mookie a good. Bet. 
Not Mookie Betts. That's a good guess, though. Uh, Freddie Freeman. Hey, you nailed it, Speaks. Uh, say, come on. Wow. Yeah. Well. Chris Taylor. <laughs> hey, that would have been a good guess. Max Muncy. Yeah, right. He, exactly. You got any more there, Sean? So I've got one on Kevin Gossman here. Okay, go ahead. So he recorded 25 strike, or excuse me, 45 strikeouts and 35 and a third innings before allowing his first walk. Who yeah. set the record with 61 strikeouts before issuing their first walk? <sighs> yeah, I got it. Uh, g- give it to me. Okay. Corbin Burns. Really? Yeah, I, started last year. Started right? last yeah. year. Yep, he's right. Oh, uh, look at that. See, JD, you're on fire. Okay. Be- I have, Thank you, Sean. I've got one for you, JD. You ready here? All right. All right. I'm ready. All right. Next to uh, the next hitter to get to 3,000 hits, it's tough to say. Robbie Cano's up there, but, uh, you know, you got to play and play a lot. I have I have in front of me the six players right now in their 20s in MLB who have at least 1,000 career hits. There's six guys in their – Oh, my God. Right? Six guys in their 20s right now who have at least 1,000 career hits. Okay. Uh, is Tim Anderson there yet? Uh, no, not quite there yet. It's a good guess. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in their 20s with 1,000 hits. Yeah. Altuve's in his 30s. Correct. So he wouldn't count. Correct. See, I'm always good at telling you who it's not. I can tell you. I, I, I'm really good at that part of the game. You're narrowing it's it not, down. You're narrowing it it's down. Not a, a Brayu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's right. not Nico Horner. No, it sure uh, isn't. Nailed that uh, one again. Uh, yeah. Uh, how old is Mookie? Let's go back to Mookie. How uh, old is he? Mookie Betts 30? is absolutely one of them. Now, Mookie Betts okay. is 29, 29 years old and has 1,202 yeah. hits. Mookie Betts. Yeah. Yep, 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 yeah. yep. Mm. Um, man. Yep. I'm going around. Lindor? Lindor is 28 years old with 1,044 hits. Well done, sir. Okay. Okay. I feel like if I get three, that's an A. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm setting the curve real low. Yeah. Um, Stay at shortstop. No. How about Manny Machado? Manny Machado is 29 years old. With 1,485 hits. He has the most hits of anybody in their 20s in MLB. Okay. That's good. So yeah. the rest is gravy. Yeah. The aforementioned Trey Turner, would uh, he be on this list? N- not Trey Turner. We've got Jose Ramirez at 29. Uh, he yeah. seems older. He seems older because he's been doing it for so long. Yeah, um, he's kind of got an older guy body, too. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He's got Juan Uribe's body. Um, I don't know. Yeah. If, I don't know what Juan's doing right now, but I mean, Jose's got his body. Uh, Xander Bogarts and Bryce Harper are your other answers. Uh, okay, yeah. I would, probably would not have gotten Bogarts. I probably should have gotten Harper. Yeah, that's a good one. That's fun, yeah. right? Um, it's yeah. not. I got. I got. You got one. I got one for you. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Uh, name name the two Hall of Famers that I gave up their final major league home run. Oh wow. You gave up the final major league home run, knowing your right. knowing your era as a do. One, one, one in the NL, I did it once in the NL, one in the AL. Uh, the, the National League is like he's in an inner he's an inner circle Hall of Famer. Well, the other one is too, and he's got ties to the uh, South Side of Chicago. Um, really, uh, Jim Tomey? No. Okay. So uh, we gotta go back a few years. Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go back. Um, you're, hmm, uh, Ken Griffey? No. Yeah, I've kind of stolen your show. Uh, <laughs> Carlton Fisk. Oh, you gave up Carlton Fisk's final career home run. That's cool. Yes, I did. That's, and, that's uh, the, awesome. other, the other, the other one, one uh, 
Uh, the great Harry Callis would have been on the call. Ah, Michael Jack Schmidt. Michael Jack Schmidt. Oh, I love it. Michael Jack Schmidt, number 500. Harry is who I grew up hearing with his uh, Paul Malls. Palm All Straits, I believe, is what he was smoking. That's where those great pipes came from. <laughs> uh, JD, you're the best. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the ball hey, game. Fun, fun play long. Great to be with you. Man. All right, Peace. thanks. You too, Jim. That's Jim Deshays joining us right there. Oh, I love that. Didn't know that. So he gave up the final career home run. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, Tim Anderson would be on pace to do um, to do what I'm talking about here. Uh, to get to uh, a thousand hits, looking uh, at this, yeah, here's my active active hits leaders right now. Tim Anderson is it's close, 857 hits for TA as of right now. Just just remarkable. Other guys in their 20s who are close. Trey Turner is at 892 hits. Rugnet Ordor is at 839. How's that possible? Javi Baez at 832. Carlos Correa at 820. And he's only 27 years of age. He's the youngest guy in the top 100 by a mile. Speaks with you here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. What can John Lester teach us about Dallas Keuchel and vice versa? That's next on Hit and Run. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel. Sunday mornings on The Score. There was not a magic number of starts necessarily uh, that would uh, have been required let's say before we made that decision and in fact you know although we had been talking about this internally for a period of time his starts against New York at our place and Boston at Fenway were were impressive enough to continue to give him the ball uh, obviously the trends from the the last couple uh, especially the other night, was, was enough for us to say it was, it was time to, to try something else in that spot. That's Rick Hahn yesterday before the Cubs and Sox game on the decision to designate Dallas Keuchel for assignment. The White Sox will owe him the rest of his money for this year. He will, of course, now not meet the standard of 160 innings. I think that's what it was. Um to uh, get next year's option to kick in. Should somebody else sign him, they would have to pay him the prorated portion of the MLB minimum of around seven hundred grand, and the White Sox would still owe him the money, the rest of it. So it is a big deal financially when a team decides to do that. It is uh, what some call a sunk cost, and you're going to pay him anyway. So the question is, do you actually let him play or not? And they are not. It's, um, it's been instructive. I love examining pitching and really examining the human side of it and truly the human side of the game. Truth be told, one of the things I love most about baseball is kind of the personality profile it takes to be good at it is the same personality profile it takes to live life happily and successfully, if you follow me. Because the challenges of the game show up every day. Keep doing what you do. But you also better be ready to adjust and adapt Adapt or die. And, oh, by the way, there's another game tomorrow. There's another day tomorrow. Even if you had a bad day, you got another day tomorrow. you got to keep going. And I think psychologically it's really deeply informative. Dallas Keuchel's issue has been adaptability. He has not proven able or maybe willing to make the necessary transitions from a pitching perspective in terms of stuff and his approach. He throws the same stuff that he has always thrown, and he believes in it. 
And that has served him well in his life, in his career. But it has stopped serving him well for several years now. I know he had good numbers in the 60-game small sample year when the White Sox went to the playoffs and lost to Oakland. But the year before that in Atlanta, he had a 3.75 ERA, but the hard hit numbers and the other stuff was really nowhere near the quality that it needed to be to warrant those numbers. So he outperformed what was actually happening on the field. Plus when you would watch him and see him getting hit hard. And that's what happened at the end of the things in Houston. So they chose not to keep him. He goes to Atlanta. Then he comes here and good for the short season, real bad last year, eventually not useful, real bad this year and eventual DFA with the league figured out what to do against Dallas Keuchel. And they found a way to consistently hit him hard, and he would not adjust. This has been the case for him. And some stories have trickled out about Dallas, about what they were trying to do. They were trying to help him with his slider, get more of a kind of a sweeping side-to-side effect on the slider. It wasn't working, and so he stopped trying to throw it that way. Um, They tried to get him to adjust the repertoire in other ways a little bit, and he just he wouldn't do it. He's been very, very stubborn. And he thinks or has thought that that would continue to work. And I understand. It's what has worked his whole career. We see this with different ballplayers, right? But at a certain point, you have to be self-aware and reflective and adapt. When you listen to Dallas Keuchel talk, It sounded like that he still believes he's the same pitcher he was, still proving people wrong with toughness and with executing the same stuff. Go side to side in the strike zone, corner to corner, and stay low instead of messing with people's eye level or messing with the repertoire and the sequence. Go high, go low, whatever. Different things. And we lived this with John Lester. We lived it with John Lester in the tail end of his Cubs career and even last year. And I was thinking about this as I was reading this stuff about Keiko and thinking about him. I was like, wait a minute. Didn't Lester talk about this last year in St. Louis? Do you guys even remember? This is Lester went to Washington and signed the $5 million deal to just kind of go and pitch for a bad team. Then he was dealt to the Cardinals at the deadline. And he had an unbelievable streak with the Cardinals like a bunch of really good starts in a row. And I remember thinking, what the hell has gotten into John Lester? And in reading about it, he was adapting and adjusting. In the final year of what I think is going to be a Hall of Fame career, John Lester was open-minded enough to change himself completely again. He learned a lot of stuff from Adam Wainwright and the pitching coach, Mike Maddox. He learned that He needed to stop doing the stuff the way he'd been doing. He learned what is the modern way in baseball. If they can't hit something, keep throwing it. He talked about his ego, about shutting down his ego. Dude's a Hall of Famer going to be. One of the all-time postseason pitchers willing to shut down his ego. He met with Mike Maddox and the other coaches, and they talked about his pitch effectiveness, the usage. They suggested a shift in the mix to make the cutter more effective and maybe even rely on it less. This from the New York Times last year. And he said, okay, all right, I'll do that. You know what? I'll do that. He started throwing the sinker more. He threw more sinkers in 44 innings with the Cardinals than he threw the entire rest of the season with the Nationals before he got traded there. He, th- he used to throw that sinker 
one out of every 10 times. And while he was with the Cardinals, he threw it one out of every four times. Completely shifted the way he used the changeup. And the pitches played off each other. Two of them dropped, one veers, and it confused hitters. This is the thing, is that Lester said he was listening to Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright in the dugout, and he asked questions to the coaching staff, and he learned a new way of doing it, and then he retired because he was done. But stay curious, my friends. Stubbornness will effing kill you, man. He will kill you if you're stubborn. And Dallas Keuchel stayed stubborn till the end. And it did not work. So, man, learn from Lester. Um, I I loved that guy's approach because he was a guy who was tough. And even as the stuff waned, stayed tough like Keuchel, but still realized that he needed to adjust and then did. Big, big stuff. Dig it. 670, the score is where you are. A wide array of baseball company this afternoon, including, of course, the Cubs and the White Sox and their finale. First pitch is at 110. You'll hear it right here on 670, the score. Pre-game is at 1235. When I'm done here at noon, it'll be Cody Decker doing down the line. Looking around baseball, Sonny Gray and the Minnesota Twins against Kansas City and Zach Greinke. The Twins up four and a half on the White Sox, who are one game under 500 as we speak. Uh, Patrick Sandoval and Jose Barrios this afternoon for the Blue Jays and the Angels. Two very interesting lineups, interesting teams. I was up late watching that one uh, last night um, and seeing Michael Lorenzen pitching very well for the Angels last night. Uh, More Zacks going around the game. Zach Davies for Arizona. Zach Wheeler for the Phillies tonight against Chris Bassett. Good matchup there for Sunday night baseball. Zach Wheeler and Chris Bassett. Zach Wheeler almost to White Sox. They offered him more money, supposedly. And James Fegan reiterates that in his column today in regards to Dallas Keuchel. When they went after Keuchel, they had previously gone after Wheeler and offered him more than he took from the Phillies. But his, what, his girlfriend or his wife is a East Coast person, so Wheeler went East. He's been phenomenal as a Philly, obviously. So you wonder what uh, what could have been different if Zach Wheeler were here. The young lefty Mackenzie Gore goes for the Padres a little bit later on against the Pirates. Max Freed and the Braves against the Marlins and Eliezer Hernandez. One of my favorite pitchers to watch is going in Cleveland or for Cleveland in Detroit today. Tristan McKenzie with great, great stuff for Cleveland. Dr. Sticks, they call him. Shane Bieber, awfully good last night for Cleveland. They keep finding pitchers, developing them, and making them great. And uh, Shane McClanahan, the best pitcher maybe you don't know much about in Tampa Bay. Six scoreless last time out. Terrific lefty for Tampa. And even though they use a lot of openers, they let Shane McClanahan be a full-on starter. Corbin Burns going for Minnesota today against St. Louis. Miles Mikolas. And Corbin Burns is your matchup there. It is 670 The Score. Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Chris Kampka will come together and tie the room together like a good area rug next on The Score.
I'm going to get myself cam connected. That's how we do it. Around these parts, Chris Kampka is the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago and joins us on the Circa Resort Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Is that the lovely Mateo I hear in the background, Chris? Yeah, he's, he's clamoring for stats. It tends to happen every now and then. <laughs> what what kind of stats is he into? Like uh, value over replacement uh, bottle stuff like that? Yeah. Well, no, the, the usual stuff. I mean, but I mean, I teased I teased it earlier, and I didn't tell him. So now he now he's a little upset. So let's uh, let's tease him and everybody else as well. Um. So. Okay. Every week, Chris Kampka comes on fighting through his the rest of his life, giving me time on a Sunday morning against the will of his child and and gives me statistical goodness about both the Cubs and the White Sox. Well, start maybe, wherever you want. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, misreading it, and he's just a frustrated White Sox fan. <laughs> That's possible. Uh, There's a lot of them out there. Um, so let's start with the Cubs, okay? So yes. Patrick Wisdom knocked in a couple of runs yesterday. and I mean, he's off to a sneaky good start with the Chicago Cubs. He's played in 150 games now, and he's posted 38 home runs. Mm-hmm. So through the first 150 games of a Cubs career, that's the fourth most home runs in franchise history. <laughs> um, wow. Which is crazy. So let's let's go through. You want to take a guess at who the top three are? Well, the number one, number one, um, let's say, get the number one one. I think you can get it. Uh, first, um, see now, this is where my brain seizes up. Uh, sometimes it's not necessarily a rookie first 150 games in the Cubs uniform. Um, oh, Sammy Sosa. No, it's Andre Dawson. Oh, Andre Dawson. That's it. If you think about it, it it makes sense. Yes, it does. He has 48. Yes. The next one is a really fun one. Hank Sauer. So if you know anything about Hank Sauer, He's a very good comp for Patrick Wisdom. Mm. Um, he's a guy who he hit 288 career home runs, and seven of them were before his 30th birthday. He was a late bloomer. Wow! And it, you can draw parallels to uh, to Patrick Wisdom. He eventually was ended up the 1952 MVP as a member of the Cubs. Well, so see, 30... that th- th- that's interesting because you look at Patrick Wisdom and you wonder what's sustainable here. He's an absolute keeper for me. It's like if enough power is there and he has a willingness to work on the swing and try to eliminate some swing and miss, he's good defensively at a lot of positions, good vibe, good speed. Like he's he's evolved into a into a surefire keeper for me at this point. Oh yeah, I think you know, the powers there last year, it's still there. So home runs are kind of at a premium this year, it seems. Like, they're not falling out of the ballparks as much as they had been. Um, if there's a guy who's hit ball out of the ballpark right now, you got to hang on to him, my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, because, I, you know, the ball might even be a little more lively down the road. And, and who knows? Who knows where that can go? Uh-huh. All right. So after Sauer, so it's Dawson with forty-eight, Sauer with forty. Yeah. Thirty-nine for Rogers Hornsby. Nothing to say there. He's an all-time great. Wow. And then Patrick Wisdom, thirty-eight. And the fun part is, no, thirty-seven is Dave Kingman, one behind him. Wow. And the fun thing is, game hundred and fifty-one, he hit three homers because that was the twenty-three to twenty-two loss. <laughs> that is that's that's tremendous. All right, I love that. Um, and that's. 
you know that, that that's that's one of the bright spots in a uh, in an awkward in an awkward time here for for Cub fans is is Patrick Wisdom. It's awkward for both sides, Kamka. I'm in a good mood because it's gorgeous out and because I love baseball and I get to talk about it with the likes of you on a Sunday morning. But these are awkward times for uh, for fans on both sides of town. Well, you know what? So let's let's look at some of the positives. I mean, all the negative stuff is right out there. You, you heard somebody on your show. Yes. You know the critical stuff, the the low on base percentage, all that stuff. Let's yeah. talk about Michael Kopech. Oh, let's okay. do that. Let's do that. We haven't seen him since the Sunday night or a week ago when he was at his most efficient and best self. Going deep in that one. Yeah, he retired his first seventeen. Okay. Boop. His previous start also against the Yankees, he retired his last 13. So if you do it, put them together, that's a hidden perfect game in there. 30 in a row retired, okay? Man. But against the Yankees, who at both points in that season, you know, consecutive Sundays, at both times, they had the best record in baseball. So you're throwing what counts to a perfect game against the best team in baseball. I mean, you just can't talk about that enough. Hmm. And he's holding opponents to a 122 batting average this season. And I went and looked through the baseball reference play index database. You know, through the first eight starts of a season, that's the best batting average allowed from ni- since 1901 of every, every season that there's available data. You have to throw out two of the guys who started doing the opener thing, Ryan Stanek, you know, yep. and, uh, yeah, and Whistler from Seattle the other year. So you throw those guys out. I mean, traditional starter, 122 batting average over the first eight starts is the best since 1901. Wow. And that's how dominant he's been. And like I said, what equates to a perfect game against the best team in baseball. Wow. that, that I mean, That's amazing. Through the first eight starts, the lowest batting average against since 1901. That's, that's crazy. Um, hey, Chris, have you noticed or are you feeling at all a resurgence of batting average a little bit? I wonder if it's a just kind of based on anecdotally batting average getting pounded into the ground as a as a bad stat for a long time. But also now, like, the, the you know, where it's lower, you really appreciate the batting average guys. It could also be my presence on the Beat the Streak podcast where I'm looking for hitters as much as I am. But I feel like there's a resurgence in the acceptance or the appreciation of batting average right now. Well, yeah, for the reason you said, okay, and also, I mean, look, how many strikeouts there are in the majors? Yeah. Putting the ball in play and getting a hit, that's a nice thing to see. There just isn't enough of it. Yeah. So I think there is a little more appreciation for batting average recently. And especially on the south side who, you know, Tim Anderson – is putting up the best batting average overall since 2019. And to watch him play every day and say that that doesn't matter is, is ridiculous mm-hmm. because it does. Yeah, no, it, it so. does. And it, 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 to- it totally matters. And he's just, he's remarkable. Um, the improvement, there's an article out uh, today that I saw that harkens back to a moment when he was on MLB network in 2019 and they were talking about base running and defense. It was one of those segments, Chris, where, they bring on a player, and they're like, all right, what do you do well? Let's talk about it. And they wanted to talk hitting with him, and he said, no, I'm not there yet with the bat. I'm not there yet. I, he didn't want to talk. He refused to talk about it um, and instead talked base running and defense and stuff. But now now you bring that guy on anywhere, and you let him talk about hitting. He has, he has figured it out, and it is at a remarkable level right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, he just gets better and better. 
Um, you've seen all those multi-hit games. You know, over this month, I uh, looked at the other day, he's got more three-hit games this month than he has zero-hit games, which, think about that. Yeah. And, you know, he is the catalyst. Top in the lineup, you say, you know, it doesn't walk enough, but, but if you have the kind of bat skill that he has, it doesn't matter. You know, you let somebody else handle the walks in that lineup yeah. because uh, Anderson gets the job done. Yeah, he, he, he truly does. Um, Chris, enjoy your day. Enjoy yourself. And uh, thank you for your time and for doing what you do. It is most, most appreciated. No, thanks, Pete. Glad right, to do it. Okay, man, you're the best. That's Chris Kampka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. I wanted you to hear this. This is... Um, this is Yasmani Grandal um, on the Sox Talk podcast. Wanted you to hear this because this is this is Grandal, and it's a guy that we, you know, I, I just I appreciate and understand that guys like Grandal help carry a game forward, help carry the sport forward with the lineage, with learning from certain people when they're young catchers like Rondal did in Cincinnati and then trying to teach young pitchers like he does now. Dig this. This is Grandal with our earlier guest on the show, Ryan McGuffey. You know, when, I, when I first saw Cueto, it was my first year in big league camp with the Cincinnati Reds in 2010. Um, I was able to have one of my first mentors who was Ramon Hernandez, who was his catcher at the time. And uh, you know, getting to talk to and to Ramon and getting to hear just what he thought about Cueto and Volquez at the time as well uh, was great. It gave me it gave me a lot of insight of how they thought and how they they, they saw the game. And quite frankly, Cueto was kind of like Cease when back then. I mean, the guy who at the time was just throwing because he had the ability to throw and he had just nasty stuff. Um, and so was Cueto. So. Uh, Ramon kind of had to grab him by the hand and take him through a game. Um, and it didn't take to, I want to say, you know, maybe 14 for him to start to realize, okay, you know, there's a lot of other things that I can do with this ball that I have in my hand in order to get guys out. And, you know, you see the, the, the big change all the way from 14 to now where he lives in the corners, he, he makes guys swing and miss, and right now he doesn't have overpowering stuff where guys are still swinging through it. They're not getting hard contact, and you know he takes it one inning at a time, one pitch at a time, and, and uh, you know it's it's fun to fun to watch. He quick pitches. He does the shimmy. He has all these different windups. It can throw hitters off. Can it throw? you off do you know what's coming not the pitch but do you know what he's going to do how he's going to deliver it no i don't I th- that was the first thing i asked him i said you know you're going to let me know and he's like no um you know one of the hardest things that that goes through in, in a game when he's pitching is the fact that he wants you to move as late as you can possibly move so um you're just reacting and and i say it's hard because you know with other guys are usually set up and ready to catch his pitch um, with time's notice. With him, is you know, he lets me know as soon as I break my hands, you go. So you know, I only have a certain amount of seconds before that ball gets to me. And if it's in the dirt, then you know I just need to figure out a way of how I can get in front of it. Um, 
But at the same time, that's why I'm saying it, it makes it so fun to catch him, just because you're you're always in the game. He keeps you in the game. You're always moving. You're always thinking, um, and uh, you know that's the way that he competes. And, and it's it's like I said, it's it's special. So I come here to the ballpark, and there's a guy who's running the stairs in the upper deck. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean that's been his routine. Quato. Yeah, it's been his routine all the way ever since I can remember. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it's been that's pretty much his his routine. I mean, he at the day after he's done pitching, he's out in the stands running up and down. I think I think his whole workout after after he's done the next day, it's about two to three hours. So he's non-existent in the dugout. He has the dedication that it takes. That's why he's been in this game for such a long time. You know, it's funny, um, and we appreciate Sox Talk for uh, letting us play that one. Chuck Garfine, Ryan McGuffey over there with Yasmani Grandal. And I was mentioning earlier about Andrelton Simmons playing second base last night for the first time in his life, today for the second time in his life, while Nico Horner plays shortstop. And seeing a moment where Simmons and Horner were talking to each other about positioning. And a, 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 and I was like, oh, see, this, that's a beautiful thing when an older player um, gets pushed aside but is open to having the conversation with the younger player. And a texter had texted in very cynically like, oh, there you go again, Spigs. They could have been talking about some chick in the stands. And what, what do you know, this this fake story about how the you know older players talk to younger players. Um, I've talked to hundreds of ballplayers about this very thing. It's very often pitcher to pitcher. Like, oh, man, I learned, you know, what did we talk about two weeks ago? But Justin Steele said, what can you learn from Wade Miley? He said, oh, there's so much to learn from Wade Miley. Talks about learning from him. Like, there, there's so many times I've heard this story, let, let, let alone Texter, that I was watching that moment I'm talking about with Horner and Simmons, and I saw it. So I, I, know, what I, I know what I see when I'm watching a ball game. But it, it, there's, and there it is from Grandal. He is a young catcher learning from Ramon Castro, who was Cueto's catcher, about walking him through. And now Grandal is the old catcher helping Cueto walk through. It's just really, really good stuff because that is, that's how it's supposed to work. That's the true paying it forward of wisdom and experience, Patrick, to, um, to help move a game along and help players improve and ultimately help teams win. What a pleasure today has been. Thank you to Sean Sears. We're producing the hell out of today's program. Thank you to uh, Mitch Rosen, our program director and uh, big boss here at The Score. Thank you to our associate producer for screening calls and just doing all the little things that he does. The rope stuff. Thank you to our guests, Jim Deshays on the show from the Marquee Sports Network, Ryan McGuffey and Chris Kampka. Coming up next, it's Cody Decker with Down the Line and at 1235 Cubs and White Sox pregame. Right here on The Score. Enjoy a beautiful day and enjoy your baseball, everyone. Happy Memorial Day. And thanks to those who paid the ultimate service, that's for sure. See you later. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.